Hello and welcome to episode 3 of Sentience All That Matters. I'm your host Leon and this week amongst other things we're going to be discussing what makes an animal rights activist. We will also touch base on the climate crisis and the connection with veganism. And then we'll have a little dive into some of the reasons why people don't want to talk about veganism and why they may become defensive when the subject is raised in a conversation. So let's get right into it. So what actually is an animal rights activist and what makes them animal rights activists? So to find the first act of animal rights activism, we have to go all the way back to 1863. So Henry Berg, was the first animal rights activist and he became the first animal rights activist because he saw a New York horse and carriage driver beating a horse and he stepped in to stop the horse getting beaten. He went on to later form the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals as well as creating initiatives such as ambulances for injured horses and actually legislated for the first effective anti-cruelty laws by the state of New York. So from this, animal rights activism was born and rapidly spread across the globe to what it is today, with thousands of people globally speaking up against animal exploitation. Now there's obviously thousands and thousands of stories and instances of people stepping in and protecting animals across the globe and multiple different animals we're not just talking about horses obviously so what's the one thing that these people have in common why do they go out of their way to protect an animal when they could just carry on with their day and ignore what's happening right in front of them well animal rights activists want to see the end of animal exploitation they want animals to be treated with dignity and respect and understand that the sentience of animals gives their life as much meaning as a human being's life. And as, and as they are unable to protect themselves, we must step in and protect them. So the question is, are you an activist? Have you done things that would be considered activism? Or are you considering getting involved in activism? These questions will be answered after this break. It's a kind of magic it's a kind of magic, a kind of magic. One dream, one soul, one prize, one gold, one golden glance of what should be. It's a kind of magic. One shot. Doors of time 
Welcome back. So thanks to Henry, we have a global network of animal rights activists spread around the world advocating for the animals. But are you one of them? Are you actively out there advocating? Or are you doing activism and not even realising it? And what level of activism do we need to do? Is there an arbitrary scale? Or does it matter? So from my perspective anyway, if you're vegan already, then you are an animal rights activist. You've taken an active decision to make changes in your life that bring a benefit to the animals. You are no longer paying into the cruel industries that torture and murder animals. And as a vegan, you are saving around 200 lives a year. But how can this be classed as activism? I mean, you're not standing in the street talking to people, are you? You're not giving out leaflets. You're not attending demonstrations. So why do I define you as an activist? Because by being vegan, you are advocating. Every time you go to work and you sit in the canteen and you're eating your plant-based food, people are seeing what you're eating. People are inquisitive about what you're eating people start asking you why are you eating that every time you go food shopping and you take your food to the till and that cashier has to put your food through they're seeing more and more plant-based items going through the tills when you invite your friends around for dinner and you cook them a plant-based meal they understand how delicious the food is and that you're not just eating grass and the inquisitive questions start to flow. People can't resist asking the question, so why are you vegan? So you answer their questions and whether that conversation lasts two minutes or 22 minutes, you are having a conversation and advocating for veganism. You are an activist. Activism is a journey and starts with going vegan. You can't be a vegan activist without being vegan. And everybody has a different journey. If you remember, as I explained to you in the first episode, the whole reason I'm vegan is because a vegan sat down to eat next to my daughter on a daily basis. The conversation started and we all turned vegan based on the research and information from there. So how does your activism ramp up from there? What is the difference between the person that advocates in the way we've just discussed and those that take direct action? In my mind, there are two things. The first being confidence and the second being finding your tribe. And these two things are completely interwoven. There is no better way to build your confidence to advocate for the animals than being surrounded by people that are on exactly the same page as you. As one great animal rights advocate once told me, your tribe reflects your vibe. So what do I actually mean by this? 
what is this talk of tribes and vibes? Well, what I mean by this is that there are multiple ways to advocate for the animals as a direct action activist. But what's extremely essential is that you find a group that you are comfortable working with. A group that will mentor you, build your confidence and turn you into the activist the animals need you to be. So a fantastic example of this would be the wonderful Melissa and Steve from Bogner, who we were lucky enough to meet at the Green Vegan Fair in Brighton. Now these guys had done no direct action activism before, but they were inquisitive and came along to the Green Vegan Fair to get some more information on what exactly it entailed. We had a few conversations and they eventually came along to their first street outreach. And although they were extremely nervous at the start, they spent the majority of the three hour outreach speaking to the general public. And it became obvious pretty quickly that they were natural advocates for the animals. Jump forward to today, not only do they organize and hold their own outreach events, they've managed to save and home rescue chickens. They've started a vegan gymwear clothing business, veganmusclegymwear.com. They volunteer at sanctuaries, and this month they helped us rescue seven pigs from a scrapyard. They are both totally aligned with our ethos on animal rights and activism. And this ties into exactly what I was saying about finding your tribe. They are the most wonderful people to do street outreach with, and we all boost each other's confidence. Activism can take many, many forms, and you need to find something you are passionate about and excited about. And when we come back, I'm going to give you some resources to help you find your tribe.
Welcome back. So where do you go to find like-minded people to do activism with? Well, one obvious great place to start is Facebook. There will be multiple activism groups on Facebook in your local area. So go onto Facebook, search for vegan activism or activism or animal rights and see what comes up that's in your local area. You might find a small independent local group that you can join. Alternatively, you might find that one of the larger organisations such as We The Free have a diamond operating near you. Alternatively, you can go on to We The Free's website, which is 3movies.wtf and see where the nearest diamond is to you. Another source is your local independent vegan cafe or restaurant. Quite often they will have notices in their windows or on their notice boards of local groups looking for volunteers. Or simply go online and Google animal rights activism in my area or in the name of your town and see what comes up in the searches. Ultimately, if nothing is available in your city and you're prepared to travel, you can do activism in another city or town. And if you're feeling particularly brave and confident, you could always contact We The Free regards to starting your own diamond in your city. If street outreach isn't your cup of tea at the moment, you could always go online and support one of the many animal rights groups on Facebook. Again, if you have the ability to travel, you can contact Viva, who carry out many professional campaigns around the country. You could get involved supporting one of their dairy campaigns or one of their plant-based university campaigns. So plenty of things to get involved in, dozens of different activities suitable for all levels of confidence. And of course, if you are anywhere near the South Coast and fancy getting involved in an event, you can always contact us at sentienceatm at gmail.com. So let's move into our second topic of conversation this week, climate change and how is that connected to veganism? Well, you'd have to be living under a rock right now to not know the climate crisis that we're currently going through. So David King, the chief climate advisor for the last four governments, has given us nine years before we hit what's going to be known as the sixth extinction event. If the temperature of the earth raises by 1.5 degrees, this will have catastrophic ramifications for life as we know it. If things don't change, by the end of the nine-year period, we will hit an irreversible marker for humanity. So how is this connected to veganism and how can veganism help avoid this disaster? Well, the animal agriculture industry is one of the leading causes of greenhouse gas emissions, which are warming up the atmosphere. Methane from cows is 27 times more harmful to the atmosphere than CO2. Currently, animal agriculture accounts for 14.8% of greenhouse gas emissions. That's more than all forms of transport globally put together each year. So the connection between climate change and veganism is clear. Where vegans are not consuming animal products and no animals are being fed and grown and slaughtered for us to eat, we are drastically reducing our carbon footprint and our contribution to greenhouse gas emissions. In fact, going vegan is the largest way you can reduce your carbon footprint as a human being. Rise when I gave the word now 
However uncomfortable this may be, we can no longer deny the destruction of our planet. The damage is clear, we have nowhere else to live and it's time to face the truth and do the right thing. We are literally living on borrowed time. Now for those that are sceptical about what I'm telling you, honestly you only have to watch Sky's daily climate show to get a full understanding of just how bad the situation is. However, if live daily news updates isn't enough for you, then I'm going to give you a suggestion. So go on to YouTube and look up Eating Our Way to Extinction. Now this is a documentary citing exactly how we are heading towards absolute devastation based on the way that we are feeding ourselves on this planet. Now secondary to the documentary they also have a website and if you go onto the website and you scroll all the way to the bottom uh, not only is there a link for the movie there's also a link for debunking the myths so if you want to know what's actually happening and you want to know how it's happening and how we can stop it then take a look debunking the myths will give you the answer to all the queries and questions you have and give you a proper understanding on how and why it's so important for you to make this change. Alternatively, as usual and as always, there is plenty of peer-reviewed studies available online, independently funded, and it's so important that they are independent because you don't want to be reading an article that was paid for by the dairy industry, for example. So why do I care about the environment? 
I'm an animal rights activist. What's that got to do with saving animals? Well, if there's no planet to live on for us, there's no planet to live on for them either, is there? So it's twofold, really. We need to save the world for ourselves and the animals living on it. Added to this, as a father, I'd like to see my child grow up and I'd one day like to see my grandchildren and I'd like them to have a planet to live on. I don't want the next war to be over land and water. We already have 33 million people in Pakistan that are climate refugees and we're already seeing the massive effects in places like Miami for example who are having to spend millions of dollars installing huge land pumps across the coast to pump out seawater because effectively Miami is now below sea level. So when you go on Facebook and in your feed you see those beautiful videos of ice crashing into the sea off of the glaciers, that is global warming. All of that ice melting and crashing into the sea raises sea levels. 2021 saw the first year in history that the Amazon rainforest put more CO2 into the atmosphere than it sequestered. In the 20 years leading up to 2020, the Amazon removed around 1.7 billion metric tons of CO2. From 2021, the Amazon emitted 3.6 billion metric tons of CO2 into the atmosphere. And in a five year period alone, Greenland saw a loss of 30 feet depth of ice. So what am I asking you to do? I'm asking you to head out to the nearest bridge with a banner and protest. I'm asking you to stand holding banners and posters. Well, if that's what you wanna do, absolutely. Find a local group and go ahead and do that. However, the simplest and easiest way for you to reduce your carbon footprint is to go plant-based or vegan. Now, obviously I'd like you to go vegan, but if you're the sort of person that just doesn't care about the animals and just hasn't made the connection yet, then at least going plant-based means you're not contributing to the animal holocaust or to global warming by what you're putting on your plate. The next step for you will be to look at to what you're consuming on a daily basis, how you power your house, do you have LED lighting or normal tungsten lighting, all these little things can add up. Do you have areas of your house that stay illuminated all day for no reason, when actually you could just have sensor lights put in, which means they would only come on as and when you're in those areas. So for example, we used to have a utility room and we were constantly forgetting to turn the light off. So we had a sensor fitted into the ceiling, which meant that the lights only came on when we entered the room and they went off shortly after we left, thus saving power and saving fossil fuel being burnt. There are simply dozens of ways that you can easily reduce your carbon footprint and websites like Viva's are full of tips and hints on how you can start introducing these measures into your life. When we come back, we'll move on to the third section of our discussion this week why people get angry when you discuss veganism.
Welcome back. So let's have a little discussion on what tends to happen when non-vegans have a discussion with a vegan. Now this isn't necessarily what happens all the time, but one of the aspects of vegan outreach is non-vegans getting angry and resentful for the conversation and understanding why this happens can lead to much nicer outreach. So as we mentioned before, the tool that most non-vegans use to carry on eating animals is cognitive dissonance. I don't know the animal, I don't see the animal, I've never met the animal, and when I buy the, the flesh of that animal, it's already been chopped up into an unrecognizable piece of flesh and wrapped in cellophane. So what this actually allows people to do is to have no connection morally or psychologically with what they're actually putting on their plates. When you have a conversation with somebody in the street and you explain the full process of how that flesh ends up on the plate, the resentment and the denial come into play for that person. Now, the way that they will react to that, those emotions depends on how open-minded the person is to new information and how much they are willing to take on board what you're saying. The conversation can go one way or the other simply based on your initial approach. However, irrelevant of your initial approach, cogn cognitive dissonance is powerful and should not be underestimated. We must always be mindful that when pointing out that somebody is doing something as horrendous as what happens to animals in the agriculture industry, they will always initially get defensive. What turns it from them being defensive to open to change is how you present the information. And the old adage here of don't shoot the messenger gets turned on its head to don't shoot the aggressor because they may not understand that they are in fact the aggressor. As I stated earlier, I myself wasn't aware that a dairy cow had to be pregnant to produce milk. I just thought they ate grass and produced milk. And I managed to make, make it to 50 thinking that's how milk is produced. So had somebody approached me in the incorrect manner to discuss me consuming dairy products, would I have listened and made the necessary change? Now life is a game of psychology. We get upset if someone scratches our car. We get road rage if someone cuts in front of us. We get angry if we feel we've been ripped off. We get happy and elated if we get something for nothing. So why should giving people the information to understand veganism and what they're paying into when they're not vegan be any different? Cultures and traditions are very important in people's lives. People are set in their ways and it takes a lot for them to change. And on the face of it, it's a gigantic ask to simply stand in the street and attempt to change someone's life forever. When they've grown up consuming animal products, they've more than likely had children and brought their own children up feeding them animal products. And here we are standing telling them they've been doing it all wrong their whole lives. Well, who are we to tell them? That's the first thing that's going through their head. Who is this person? Why are they belittling everything I've been brought up to understand as true and right? So it's vitally important that we show them in the conversation that we are listening to their side, but that we have the facts to show them that the truth behind the marketing and the lies so once people have had the conversation and they know the truth, why do they then try and perpetuate the lie with ridiculous statements like, 
plants feel pain. Animals aren't sentient. They don't understand what's happening. They've had a good life. They're killed in a humane way. Why do they come out with such ridiculous statements? Well, this is nothing more than a defense mechanism. You've brought to their attention something they're doing wrong and they're trying to justify themselves. But actually, are they trying to justify themselves? They must know these statements are ridiculous and clearly they are. So why would you bring ridiculous statements into an argument or into a conversation to try and win an argument? And this is where the compassion and skill of the person outreaching is so crucial. At this point, utilizing nonviolent communication is the only way forward and the only way you are going to get this person to seriously listen to what you have to say. It's a key turning point in the conversation. And when we come back, I'm gonna break it down for you. Sun is shining. 
Welcome back. So why are we at a turning point in this conversation with this person? Why is it so important the next few phrases out of my mouth in the vein of turning this person towards veganism? Well, the reason they've come up with the ridiculous excuses is a guilt response. When we're caught doing something wrong, we come up with an excuse, not only to try and justify, but out of embarrassment for our behavior. Now, the reason why this is such a crucial turning point is if we reinforce the embarrassment, the defenses from that person will get reinforced at the same time. However, if we follow the path of non-violent communication, and we view the excuses the same as if they'd said nothing at all, we've allowed them to air themselves without being persecuted for it. Now this does not mean we are letting them off the hook. What this means is that we are creating a psychological pathway in that person to allow them to be open-minded enough to take on the information and make the changes. You must remember the conversation is not about punishing them, it's about educating them. Punishing somebody will only deepen their defences of their actions and out of simple human nature they will almost always carry on the same actions because it was you telling them to change, not them making the change themselves. And if they make the change themselves, they are far more likely to stay vegan. Now this is the principle of how sentience, our, our activism group works. There are multiple different groups using many various styles. How do we know what works? Well, one of the tools that sentience uses to establish the effectiveness of its outreach is the MyStats platform from We The Free. Now how the, how the MyStats platform works is that each time we have a conversation of value, we give out a card and on that card is a code. Now when the person scans the QR code and goes onto the site, they place the code in and then they're given access to all the information supporting the discussion we've just had. That access that they make and every resource that they access on the website is registered in my stats. So after an event, we can log into the system, we can see how many people took action from the card, we can see if they watched Dominion, or if they watched Game Changers, or if they accessed Challenge 22, or if they looked at some of the food swaps and transition tools that are on there. So the my stats site is a key tool in producing effective outreaching. So Sentience as a whole has an average rating of 38% response, which means that roughly four out of 10 people that we speak to will actually bother to access the site and the resources and look into the information that we've given them. Now, whilst this is an amazing resource and extremely helpful when it comes to training, no one actually really knows how many people go vegan after having a conversation in the street with an outreacher. It would be wonderful to believe that those four out of 10 people that access the site immediately went vegan, emptied their fridge of all animal products, went shopping and no longer abused animals. But we will never know. What we can do as activists is put our best foot forward, act with kindness and compassion speak to people in a tone that we would want to be spoken to ourselves, bring the best of ourselves to every conversation we have, and always, always remember, at some point, we too were abusing animals, paying into the Holocaust, and completely ignorant to how our food was actually being produced. So what about those people that have the conversation, take on board all the information, watch the footage, and still insist that they are gonna carry on as they were, 
because those animals' lives are meaningless to them. Well, let's take this back to the psychological factors. What kind of person do you really believe is happy to have that kind of action carried out to an innocent, sentient being? What kind of life are they living and what kind of situation are they in where understanding what happens is utterly meaningless and they still believe their sandwich is worth more than the life of that animal. For these people, I feel sorry because it must be horrendous living in a mind like that. And we must just live in hope that one day the penny will drop. So on that vegan bombshell, we've run out of time again. So in the meantime, why not check out our Facebook page, Sentience All That Matters, or check out our TikTok at Activist269. There you'll see some videos and information on what we've been up to. In the meantime, I'll leave you with this cherry. It's a kind of magic. It's a kind of magic. A kind of magic. One dream. One soul, one prize, one gold, one golden glance of what should be. It's a kind of Magic, 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 magic.